Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today's story, The Sunlanders, by Jack London. We always appreciate reviews, and we will be covering recent reviews at the end of this episode. So stay with us. The Sunlanders, by Jack London. Mandel is an obscure village on the rim of the Polar Sea. It is not large, and the people are peaceable more peaceable even than those of the adjacent tribes. There are few men in Mandel, and many women, wherefore a wholesome and necessary polygamy is in practice. The women bear children with ardor, and the birth of a man-child is hailed with acclamation. Then there is Abwak, whose head rests always on one shoulder, as though at some time the neck had become very tired and refused forevermore its wonted duty. The cause of all these things the peaceableness, and the polygamy, and the tired neck of Abwak, goes back among the years to the time when the schooner's search dropped anchor in Mandel Bay, and when Tai, chief man of the tribe, conceived a scheme of sudden wealth. To this day the story of things that happened is remembered and spoken of with bated breath by the people of Mandel, who are cousins to the hungry folk who live in the West. Children draw closer when the tale is told, and marvel sagely to themselves at the madness of those who might have been their forebears had they not provoked the Sunlanders and come to bitter ends. It began to happen when six men came ashore from the search, with heavy outfits, as though they had come to stay, and quartered themselves in Niga's igloo. Not but they paid well in flour and sugar for the lodging, but Niga was aggrieved because Misachi, his daughter, elected to cast her fortunes and seek food and blanket with Bill Mann, who was leader of the party of white men. "'She is worth a price,' Niga complained to the gathering by the council fire, when the six white men were asleep. "'She is worth a price, for we have more men than women, and the men be bidding high. The hunter, Unink, offered me a kayak, new-made, and a gun which he got in trade from the hungry folk. This was I offered, and behold, now she is gone, and I have nothing.' "'I, too, did bid for Masachi,' grumbled a voice in tones not altogether joyless, and Pilo shoved his broad-cheeked, jovial face for a moment into the light. "'Thou, too,' Niga affirmed, "'and there were others. "'Why is there such a restlessness upon the Sunlanders?' he demanded petulantly. "'Why do they not stay at home? "'The snow people do not wander to the lands of the Sunlanders.' "'Better were it to ask why they come.' cried a voice from the darkness, and Abwak pushed his way to the front. "'Aye, why they come?' clamored many voices, and Abwak waved his hand for silence. "'Men do not dig in the ground for nothing,' he began, "'and I have it in mind of the whale people, who are likewise sunlanders, and who lost their ship in the ice. You all remember the whale people, who came to us in their broken boats, and who went away into the south with dogs and sleds when the frost arrived.' and snow covered the land. And you remember, while they waited for the frost, that one man of them dug in the ground, and then two men, and three, and then all men of them, with great excitement and much disturbance. What they dug out of the ground we do not know, for they drove us away so we could not see. But afterward, when they were gone, we looked and found nothing. Yet there be much ground, and they did not dig at all. "'Aye, Abwak!' cried the people in admiration. "'Wherefore I have it in mind,' he concluded, "'that one Sunlander tells another, "'and that these Sunlanders have been so told "'and are come to dig in the ground. "'But how can it be that Billman speaks our tongue?' "'demanded a little weazened old hunter. "'Billman, upon whom never before our eyes have rested. "'Billman has been here other times in the snowlands,' "'Abwak answered.' Else would he not speak the speech of the bear people, which is like the speech of the hungry folk, which is very like the speech of the Mandels? For there have been many Sunlanders among the bear people, few among the hungry folk, and none at all among the Mandels, save the whale people and those who sleep now in the igloo of Niga. Their sugar is very good, Niga commented, and their flour. They have great wealth, Onenk added. Yesterday I was to their ship, and beheld most cunning tools of iron and knives, and guns and flour, and strange foods, 
without end. It is so, brothers. Tyee stood up and exulted inwardly at the respect and silence his people accorded him. They be very rich, these Sunlanders. Also, they be fools. For behold, they come among us boldly, blindly, and without thought for all their great wealth. Even now they snore, and we are many, and unafraid. Mayhap they too are unafraid, being great fighters, the weazened little old hunter objected. But Tyee scowled upon him. Nay, it would not seem so. They live to the south, under the path of the sun, and are soft as their dogs are soft. You remember the dog of the whale people? Our dogs ate him the second day, for he was soft and could not fight. The sun is warm and life easy in the sunlands, and the men are as women, and the women as children. Heads nodded in approval, and the women craned their necks to listen. It is said they are good to their women, who do little work, tittered Lakita, a broad-hipped, healthy young woman, daughter to Tai himself. Thou wouldst follow the feet of Misachi, eh? he cried angrily. Then he turned swiftly to the tribesmen. Look, you, brothers, this is the way of the Sunlanders. They have eyes for our women, and take them one by one. As Masachi has gone, Chidi Niga of her price, so will Lakita go, so will they all go, and we be cheated. I have talked with a hunter from the bear people, and I know. There be hungry folk among us. Let them speak if my words be true. The six hunters of the hungry folk attested the truth, and fell each to telling his neighbor of the Sunlanders and their ways. There were mutterings from the younger men who had wives to seek, and from the older men who had daughters to fetch prices, and a low hum of rage rose higher and clearer. They are very rich, and have cunning tools of iron and knives and guns without end, Tai suggested craftily, his dream of sudden wealth beginning to take shape. I shall take the gun of Billman for myself, Abwak suddenly proclaimed. Nay, it shall be mine, shouted Niga, for there is the price of Masachi to be reckoned. Peace, O oh brothers. Tai swept the assembly with his hands. Let the women and children go to their igloos. This is the talk of men. Let it be only for the ears of men. There be guns in plenty for all, he said, when the women had unwillingly withdrawn. I doubt not there will be two guns for each man, without thought of the flour and sugar and other things. And it is easy. The six sunlanders in Niga's igloo we will kill tonight while they sleep. Tomorrow will we go in peace to the ship to trade, and there, when the time favors, kill all their brothers. And tomorrow night there shall be feasting and merriment and a division of wealth and the least man shall possess more than did ever the greatest before. Is it wise, that which I have spoken, brothers? A low growl of approval answered him, and preparation for the attack was begun. The six hungry folk, as became members of a wealthier tribe, were armed with rifles and plenteously supplied with ammunition. But it was only here and there that a Mandel possessed a gun, many of which were broken, and there was a general slackness of powder and shells. This poverty of war weapons, however, was relieved by myriads of bone-headed arrows and casting spears for work at a distance, and for close quarters, steel knives of Russian and Yankee make. Let there be no noise, Tai finally instructed, but be there many on every side of the igloo, and close, so that the Sunlanders may not break through. Then do you, Niga, with six of the young men behind, crawl in to where they sleep. Take no guns which be prone to go off at unexpected times, but put the strength of your arms into the knives. And it be understood that no harm befall Misachi, who is worth a price, Niga whispered hoarsely. Flat upon the ground, the small army concentrated on the igloo, and behind, deliciously expectant, crouched many women and children, come out to witness the murder. The brief August night was passing, and in the gray of dawn could be dimly discerned the creeping forms of Niga and the young men. Without pause, on hands and knees, they entered the long passageway and disappeared. Tai rose up and rubbed his hands. All was going well. 
head after head in the big circle, lifted and waited. Each man pictured the scene according to his nature, the sleeping men, the plunge of the knives, and the sudden death in the dark. A loud hail in the voice of a sunlander rent the silence, and a shot rang out. Then an uproar broke loose inside the igloo. Without premeditation, the circle swept forward into the passageway. On the inside, half a dozen repeating rifles began to chatter, and the Mandels, jammed in the confined space, were powerless. Those at the front strove madly to retreat from the fire-spitting guns in their very faces, and those in the rear pressed as madly forward to the attack. The bullets from the big 4590s drove through half a dozen men at a shot, and the passageway, gorged with surging helpless men, became a shambles. The rifles, pumped without aim into the mass, withered it away like a machine gun, and against that steady stream of death, no man could advance. "'Never was there the like,' panted one of the hungry folk. "'I did but look in, and the dead were piled like seals on the ice after a killing.' "'Did I not say, mayhap, that they were fighters?' cackled the weazened old hunter. "'It was to be expected,' Abwak answered stoutly. "'We fought in a trap of our own making.' "'Oh, ye fools!' Tai chided. "'Ye sons of fools! "'It was not planned, this thing ye have done. "'To Niga and the six young men only it was given to go inside. "'My cunning is superior to the cunning of the Sunlanders.' "'but ye take away its edge and rob me of its strength "'and make it worse than no cunning at all.' "'No one made reply, and all eyes centered on the igloo, "'which loomed vague and monstrous against the clear northeast sky. "'Through a hole in the roof the smoke from the rifles "'curled slowly upward in the pulseless air, "'and now and again a wounded man crawled painfully through the gray. "'Let each ask of his neighbor for Niga and the six young men,' Tyree commanded.' And after a time, the answer came back. Niga and the six young men are not. And many more are not, wailed a woman to the rear. The more wealth for those who are left, Tai grimly consoled. Then, turning to Abwak, he said, Go thou, and gather together many sealskins filled with oil. Let the hunters empty them on the outside wood of the igloo and of the passage and let them put fire to it, ere the Sunlanders make holes in the igloo for their guns. Even as he spoke, a hole appeared in the dirt plastered between the logs. A rifle muzzle protruded, and one of the hungry folk clapped a hand to his side and leaped in the air. A second shot, through the lungs, brought him to the ground. Tai and the rest scattered to either side, out of direct range, and Abwak hastened the men forward with the skins of oil. Avoiding the loopholes which were making on every side of the igloo, they emptied the skins on the dry drift logs brought down by the Mandel River from the tree lands to the south. Unank rang forward with a blazing brand, and the flames leaped upward. Many minutes passed without sign, and they held their weapons ready as the fire gained headway. Tyree rubbed his hands gleefully as the dry structure burned and crackled. Now we have them, brothers, in the trap! "'and no one may gainsay me the gun of Billman,' Abwak announced. "'Save Billman,' squeaked the old hunter, "'for behold, he cometh now.' Covered with a singed and blackened blanket, the big white man leaped out of the blazing entrance, and on his heels, likewise shielded, came Masachi and the five other Sunlanders. The hungry folk tried to check the rush with an ill-directed volley, while the Mandels hurled in a cloud of spears and arrows.' but the Sunlanders cast their flaming blankets from them as they ran, and it was seen that each bore on his shoulders a small pack of ammunition. Of all their possessions, they had chosen to save that. Running swiftly and with purpose, they broke the circle and headed directly for the great cliff, which towered blackly in the brightening day a half a mile to the rear of the village. But Tai knelt on one kneel and lined the sights of his rifle on the rearmost Sunlander. A great shout went up when he pulled the trigger, and the man fell forward, struggled partly up, and fell again. Without regard for the rain of arrows, another Sunlander ran back, bent over him, and lifted him across his shoulders. But the Mandel spearmen were crowding up into closer range, 
and a strong cast transfixed the wounded man. He cried out and became swiftly limp as his comrade lowered him to the ground. In the meanwhile, Bill Mann and the three others had made a stand and were driving a leaden hail into the advancing spearmen. The fifth Sunlander bent over his stricken fellow, felt the heart, and then coolly cut the straps of the pack and stood up with the ammunition and extra gun. "'Now is he a fool!' cried Tai, leaping high as he ran forward to clear the squirming body of one of the hungry folk. His own rifle was clogged so that he could not use it, and he called out for someone to spear the Sunlander, who had turned and was running for safety under the protecting fire. The little old hunter poised his spear on the throwing stick, swept his arm back as he ran, and delivered the cast. "'By the body of the wolf,' say I, "'it was a good throw,' Tai praised as the fleeing man pitched forward, the spear standing upright between his shoulders and swaying slowly forward and back. The little weazened old man coughed and sat down. A streak of red showed on his lips and welled into a thick stream. He coughed again, and a strange whistling came and went with his breath. "'They, too, are unafraid, being great fighters,' he wheezed, pawing aimlessly with his hands. "'And behold, Billman comes now.' Tai glanced up. Four Mandels and one of the hungry folk had rushed upon the fallen man and were spearing him from his knees back to the earth. In the twinkling of an eye, Tai saw four of them cut down by the bullets of the Sunlanders. The fifth, as yet unhurt, seized the two rifles, but as he stood up to make off, he was whirled almost completely around by the impact of a bullet in the arm, steadied by a second, and overthrown by the shock of a third. A moment later, and Bill Man was on the spot, cutting the pack straps and picking up the guns. This Tai saw, and his own people falling as they straggled forward, and he was aware of a quick doubt, and resolved to lie where he was and see more. For some unaccountable reason, Misachi was running back to Billman, but before she could reach him, Tai saw Pilo run out and throw arms around her. He essayed to sling her across his shoulder, but she grappled with him, tearing and scratching at his face. Then she tripped him, and the pair fell heavily. When they regained their feet, Pilo had shifted his grip so that one arm was passed under her chin, the wrist pressing into her throat and strangling her. He buried his face in her breast, taking the blows of her hands on his thick mat of hair, and began slowly to force her off the field. Then it was retreating with the weapons of his fallen comrades that Billman came upon them. As Masachi saw him, she twirled the victim around and held him steady. Billman swung the rifle in his right hand and, hardly easing his stride, delivered the blow. Tyree saw Pilo dive to the earth as smote by a falling star and the Sunlander and Niga's daughter fleeing side by side. A bunch of Mandels, led by one of the hungry folk, made a futile rush which melted away into the earth before the scorching fire. Tyree caught his breath and murmured, like the young frost in the morning sun. As I said, they are great fighters, the old hunter whispered weakly, far gone in hemorrhage. I know. I have heard. They be sea robbers and hunters of seals, and they shoot quick and true, for it is their way of life and the work of their hands. Like the young frost in the morning sun, Tyree repeated, crouching for shelter behind the dying man and peering at intervals about him. It was no longer a fight, for no Mandel men dared venture forward, and as it was, they were too close to the Sunlanders to go back. Three tried it, scattering and scurrying like rabbits, but one came down with a broken leg, another was shot through the body, and the third, twisting and dodging, fell on the edge of the village. So the tribesmen crouched in the hollow places and burrowed into the dirt in the open, while the Sunlanders' bullets searched the plain. "'Move not!' Tyree pleaded as Abwak came worming over the ground to him. Move not, good Abwak, else you bring death upon us. Heh, death sits upon many, Abwak laughed. Wherefore, as you say, there will be much wealth in division. My father breathes fast and short behind the big rock yon, and beyond, twisted like in a knot, lieth my brother. But their share shall be my share, and it is well. As you say, good Abwak, 
and as I have said, but before division must come that which we may divide, and the Sunlanders be not yet dead. A bullet glanced from a rock before them, and singing shrilly rose low over their heads on its second flight. Tyree ducked and shivered, but Abwak grinned and sought vainly to follow it with his eyes. So swiftly they go, one may not see them, he observed. But many be dead of us, Tyee went on. And many be left, was the reply, and they hugged close to the earth, for they have become wise in the fashion of fighting. Further, they are angered. Moreover, when we have killed the Sunlanders on the ship, there will remain but four on the land. These may take long to kill, but in the end, it will happen. How may we go down to the ship when we cannot go this way or that? Tyee questioned. It is a bad place where lie Bill Man and his brothers, Abwak explained. We may come upon them from every side, which is not good. So they aim to get their backs against the cliff and wait until their brothers of the ship come to give them aid. Never shall they come from the ship, their brothers. I have said it. Tai was gathering courage again, and when the Sunlanders verified the prediction by retreating to the cliff, he was as light-hearted as ever. There be only three of us, complained one of the hungry folk as they came together for counsel. Therefore, instead of two, shall you have four guns each, was Tai's rejoinder. We did good fighting. I and if it should happen that two of you be left, then will you have six guns each. Therefore, fight well. And if there be none of them left, Abwak whispered slyly, then we will have the guns, you and I, Tai whispered back. However, to propitiate the hungry folk, he made one of them leader of the ship expedition. This party comprised fully two-thirds of the tribesmen and departed for the coast a dozen miles away, laden with skins and things to trade. The remaining men were disposed in a large half-circle about the breastwork which Bill Mann and his Sunlanders had begun to throw up. Tyee was quick to note the virtues of things, and at once set his men to digging shallow trenches. "'The time will go before they are aware,' he explained to Abwak, "'and their minds being busy, they will not think overmuch of the dead that are, nor gather trouble to themselves. And in the dark of night they may creep closer, so that when the Sunlanders look forth in the morning light,' They will find us very near. In the midday heat, the men seized from their work and made a meal of dried fish and seal oil, which the women brought up. There was some clamor for the food of the Sunlanders in the igloo of Niga, but Tai refused to divide it until the return of the ship party. Speculations upon the outcome became rife, but in the midst of it a dull boom drifted up over the land from the sea. The keen-eyed ones made out a dense cloud of smoke, which quickly disappeared and which they averred was directly over the ship of the Sunlanders. Tai was of the opinion that it was a big gun. Abwak did not know, but thought it might be a signal of some sort. Anyway, he said, it was time something happened. Five or six hours afterward, a solitary man was descried coming across the wide flat from the sea, and the women and children poured out upon him in a body. It was Unink, naked, winded, and wounded. The blood still trickled down his face from a gash on the forehead. His left arm, frightfully mangled, hung helpless at his side. But most significant of all, there was a wild gleam in his eyes which betokened the women knew not what. "'Where be Pishak?' an old squaw queried sharply. "'And Olitli, and Polak, and Makuk!' the voices took up the cry. But he said nothing, "'brushing his way through the clamorous mass "'and directing his staggering steps toward Tyee. "'The old squaw raised the wall, "'and one by one the women joined her "'as they swung in behind. "'The men crawled out of their trenches "'and ran back to gather about Tyee, "'and it was noticed that the Sunlanders "'climbed upon their barricade to see. "'Onak halted, swept the blood from his eyes, "'and looked about. "'He strove to speak, but his dry lips were glued together. "'Lakita fetched him water.' and he grunted and drank again. "'Was it a fight?' Tai demanded finally. "'A good fight?' "'Oh!' So suddenly and so fiercely did Onink laugh that every voice hushed. "'Never was there such a fight,' 
So I say, I, Unink, fighter before time of beasts and men. And ere I forget, let me speak fat words and wise. By fighting will the Sunlanders teach us Mandel folk how to fight. And if we fight long enough, we shall be great fighters, even as the Sunlanders, or else we shall be dead. Ho! Oh, it was a fight. Where be thy brothers? Tai shook him till he shrieked from the pain of his hurts. Unink sobered. My brothers? They are not. And Pomi Lee? cried one of the two hungry folk. Pomi Lee, the son of my mother. Pomi Lee is not, Unink answered in a monotonous voice. And the Sunlanders? This from Abwak. The Sunlanders are not. Then the ship of the Sunlanders and the wealth of guns and things, Tai demanded. Neither the ship of the Sunlanders nor the wealth and guns and things was the unvarying response. All are not. Nothing is. I only am. And thou art a fool. It may be so, Onink answered, unruffled. I have seen that which would well make me a fool. Tai held his tongue and all waited till it should please Unink to tell the story in his own way. We took no guns, O Tai, he at last began. No guns, my brothers, only knives and hunting bows and spears. And in twos and threes, in our kayaks, we came to the ship. They were glad to see us, the Sunlanders, and we spread our skins and they brought out their articles of trade, and everything was well. And Palma Lee waited, waited till the sun was well overhead, and they sat at meat, when he gave the cry, and we fell upon them. Never was there such a fight, and never such fighters. Half did we kill in the quickness of surprise, but the half that was left became as devils, and they multiplied themselves, and everywhere they fought like devils. Three put their backs against the mast of the ship, and we ringed them with our dead before they died. And some got guns and shot with both eyes wide open, and very quick and sure. And one got a big gun, from which at one time he shot many small bullets. And so, behold. Unink pointed to his ear, neatly pierced by a buckshot. But I, Unink, drove my spear through his back from behind, and in such fashion, one way and another, did we kill them all, all save the headman? And him we were about, many of us, and he was alone, when he made a great cry and broke through us, five or six dragging upon him, and ran down inside the ship. And then, when the wealth of the ship was ours, and only the headman down below whom we would kill presently, why then there was a sound as of all the guns in the world, a mighty sound, and like a bird I rose up in the air and the living Mandel folk, and the dead Sunlanders, the little kayaks, the big ship, the guns, the wealth, everything rose up in the air. So I say, I, Unink, who tell the tale, am the only one left. A great silence fell upon the assemblage. Tai looked at Abwak with awestruck eyes, but forbore to speak. Even the women were too stunned to wail the dead. Unink looked about him with pride. I only am left, he repeated. But at that instant, a rifle cracked from Bill Mann's barricade, and there was a sharp spat and a thud on the chest of Unink. He swayed backward and came forward again, a look of startled surprise on his face. He gasped, and his lips writhed in a grim smile. There was a shrinking together of the shoulders and a bending of the knees. He shook himself, as might a drowsing man, and straightened up. But the shrinking and bending began again, and he sank down slowly, quite slowly, to the ground. It was a clean mile from the pit of the Sunlanders, and death had spanned it. A great cry of rage went up, and in it there was much of blood vengeance, much of the unreasoned ferocity of the brute. Tai and Abwak tried to hold the Mandel folk back, but were thrust aside and could only turn and watch the mad charge. But no shots came from the Sunlanders, and ere half the distance was covered, many, 
affrighted by the mysterious silence of the pit, halted, and waited. The wilder spirits bore on, and when they had cut the remaining distance in half, the pit still showed no sign of life. At two hundred yards they slowed down and bunched. At one hundred they stopped, a score of them, suspicious, and conferred together. Then a wreath of smoke crowned the barricade, and they scattered like a handful of pebbles thrown at random. Four went down, and four more, and they continued swiftly to fall, one and two at a time, till but one remained, and he in full flight with death singing about his ears. It was Nock, a young hunter, long-legged and tall, and he ran as never before. He skimmed across the naked open like a bird, and soared and sailed and curved from side to side. The rifles in the pit rang out in solid volley. They flut, 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 flooded in ragged sequence, and still Nock rose and dipped and rose again, unharmed. There was a lull in the firing, as though the Sunlanders had given over, and Nock curved less and less in his flight, till he darted straight forward at every leap. And then, as he leaped cleanly and well, one lone rifle barked from the pit, and Nock doubled up in mid-air, struck the ground in a ball, and like a ball bounced from the impact, and came down in a broken heap. Who so swift as swift-winged lead? Abwak pondered. Tai grunted and turned away. The incident was closed, and there was more pressing matter at hand. One hungry man and forty fighters, some of them hurt, remained, and there were four Sunlanders yet to reckon with. We will keep them in their hole by the cliff, he said, and when famine has gripped them hard, we will slay them like children. But of what matter to fight? queried Oluf, one of the younger men. The wealth of the Sunlanders is not. Only remains that in the igloo of Niga, a paltry quantity. He broke off hastily as the air by his ear split sharply to the passage of a bullet. Tai laughed scornfully. Let that be thy answer. What else may we do with this mad breed of Sunlanders which will not die? What a thing is foolishness! Olof protested, his ears furtively alert for the coming of other bullets. It is not right that they should fight so, these Sunlanders. Why will they not die easily? They are fools not to know that they are dead men, and they give us much trouble. We fought before for great wealth. We fight now that we may live, Abwak summed up succinctly. That night there was a clash in the trenches, and shots exchanged, and in the morning the igloo of Niga was found empty of the Sunlanders' possessions. These they themselves had taken, for the signs of their trail were visible to the sun. Oluf climbed to the brow of the cliff to hurl great stones down into the pit, but the cliff overhung, and he hurled down abuse and insult instead, and promised bitter torture to them in the end. Billman mocked him back in the tongue of the bear folk, and Tai, lifting his head from a trench to see, had his shoulders scratched deeply by a bullet. And in the dreary days that followed, and in the wild nights when they pushed the trenches closer, there was much discussion as to the wisdom of letting the Sunlanders go. But of this they were afraid, and the women raised a cry always at the thought. This much they had seen of the Sunlanders. They cared to see no more. All the time the whistle and the blub-blub of bullets filled the air, and all the time the death list grew. In the golden sunrise came the faint, far crack of a rifle and a stricken woman would throw up her hands on the distant edge of the village. In the noonday heat, men in the trenches heard the shrill sing-song and knew their deaths. Or in the gray afterglow of evening, the dirt kicked up in puffs by the winking fires. And through the nights, the long wahoo haya, wahoo haya of mourning women held dolorous sway. As Tai had promised, in the end famine gripped the Sunlanders, and once, when an early fall gale blew, one of them crawled through the darkness past the trenches and stole many dried fish. But he could not get back with them, and the sun found him vainly hiding in the village. So he fought the great fight by himself, and then a narrow ring of Mandel folk shot four with his revolver, and ere they could lay hands on him for the torture, turned it on himself and died. This threw a gloom upon the people. Oluf put the question, 
"'If one man die so hard, "'how hard will die the three who yet are left?' "'Then Masachi stood up on the barricade "'and called in by name three dogs which had wandered close, "'meat and life, "'which set back the day of reckoning "'and put despair in the hearts of the Mandel folk. "'And on the head of Masachi "'were showered the curses of a generation. "'The days dragged by. "'The sun hurried south. "'The nights grew long and longer, "'and there was a touch of frost in the air. "'And still the Sunlanders held the pit. "'Hearts were breaking under the unending strain, "'and Tai thought hard and deep. "'Then he sent forth word "'that all the skins and hides of all the tribe be collected.' These he had made into huge cylindrical bales, and behind each bale he placed a man. When the word was given, the brief day was almost spent, and it was slow work and tedious, rolling the big bales forward foot by foot. The bullets of the Sunlanders blub-blubbed and thudded against them, but could not go through, and the men howled their delight. But the dark was at hand, and Tai, secure of success, called the bales back to the trenches. In the morning, in the face of an unearthly silence from the pit, the real advance began. At first, with large intervals between, the bales slowly converged as the circle drew in. At a hundred yards, they were quite close together, so the Tai's order to halt was passed along in whispers. The pit showed no sign of life. They watched long and sharply, but nothing stirred. The advance was taken up, and the maneuver repeated at fifty yards. Still no sign nor sound. Tai shook his head, and even Abwak was dubious. But the order was given to go on, and go on they did, till bale touched bale, and a solid rampart of skin and hide bowed out from the cliff about the pit and back to the cliff again. Tai looked back and saw the women and children clustering blackly in the deserted trenches. He looked ahead at the silent pit. The men were wriggling nervously, and he ordered every second bale forward. This double line advanced till Baal touched Baal as before. Then Abwak, of his own will, pushed one Baal forward alone. When it touched the barricade, he waited a long while. After that he tossed unresponsive rocks over into the pit, and finally, with great care, stood up and peered in. A carpet of entry cartridges, a few white-picked dog bones, and a soggy place where water dripped from a crevice met his eyes. That was all. The Sunlanders were gone. There were murmurings of witchcraft, vague complaints, dark looks which foreshadowed to Tai dread things which yet might come to pass, and he breathed easier when Abwak took up the trail along the base of the cliff. The cave! Tai cried. They foresaw my wisdom of the skin bales and fled away into the cave. The cliff was honeycombed with a labyrinth of subterranean passages which found vent in an opening midway between the pit and where the trench tapped the wall. Thither, and with many exclamations, the tribesmen followed Abwak and arrived. They saw plainly where the Sunlanders had climbed to the mouth, twenty and odd feet above. Now the thing is done, Tai said, rubbing his hands. Let word go forth that rejoicing be made, for they are in the trap now these Sunlanders, in the trap. The young men shall climb up, and the mouth of the cave be filled with stones, so that Billman and his brothers and Masachi shall by famine be pinched to shadows and die cursing in the silence and dark. Cries of delight and relief greeted this, and Halga, the last of the hungry folk, swarmed up the steep slant and drew himself, crouching upon the lip of the opening. But as he crouched, a muffled report rushed forth, and as he clung desperately to the slippery edge, a second. His grip loosed with reluctant weakness, and he pitched down at the feet of Tai, quivered for a moment like some monstrous jelly, and then was still. How should I know they were great fighters and unafraid? Tai demanded, spurred to defense by recollection of the dark looks and vague complaints. We were many and happy, one of the men stated baldly. Another fingered his spear with a purient hand. But Aloof cried them cease. Give ear, my brothers. There be another way. As a boy I chanced upon it playing along the steep. It is hidden by the rocks, and there is no reason that a man should go there. Wherefore, it is secret, and no man knows. It is very small, 
"'and you crawl on your belly a long way, "'and then you are in the cave. "'Tonight we will so crawl without noise on our bellies "'and come upon the Sunlanders from behind. "'And tomorrow we will be at peace, "'and never again will we quarrel with the Sunlanders "'in the years to come. "'Never again!' chorused the weary men. "'Never again!' "'and Tai joined with them. "'That night, with the memory of their dead in their hearts, "'and in their hands stones and spears and knives, "'the horde of women and children collected "'about the known mouth of the cave. "'Down the twenty and odd precarious feet to the ground, "'no Sunlander could hope to pass and live. "'In the village remained only the wounded men, "'while every able man, and there were thirty of them, "'followed Oluf to the secret opening.' A hundred feet of broken ledges and insecurely heaped rocks were between it and the earth, and because of the rocks, which might be displaced by the touch of hand or foot, only one man climbed at a time. Oluf went up first, called softly for the next to come on, and disappeared inside. A man followed, a second, and a third, and so on, until only Tai remained. He received the call of the last man, but a quick doubt assailed him, and he stayed to ponder. Half an hour later, he swung up to the opening and peered in. He could feel the narrowness of the passage, and the darkness before him took on solidity. The fear of the walled-in earth chilled him, and he could not venture. All the men who had died, from Niga, the first of the Mandels, to Halga, the last of the hungry folk, came and sat with him, but he chose the terror of their company rather than face the horror which he felt to lurk in the thick blackness. He had been sitting long when something soft and cold fluttered lightly on his cheek, and he knew the first winter's snow was falling. The dim dawn came, and after that the bright day, when he heard a low guttural sobbing, which came and went at intervals along the passage, and which drew closer each time and more distinct. He slipped over the edge, dropped his feet to the first ledge, and waited. That which sobbed made slow progress, but at last, after many halts, it reached him, and he was sure no sunlander made the noise. So he reached a hand inside, and where there should have been a head, felt the shoulders of a man uplifted on bent arms. The head he found later, not erect, but hanging straight down, so that the crown rested on the floor of the passage. "'Is it you, Tai?' the head said. "'For it is I, Abwak.' "'who am helpless and broken as a rough-flung spear. "'My head is in the dirt, "'and I may not climb down unaided.' "'Tai clambered in, "'dragged him up with his back against the wall, "'but the head hung down on the chest "'and sobbed and wailed. "'Aloo! Aloo!' it went. "'Aloof forgot, "'for Masachi likewise knew the secret "'and showed the Sunlanders.' else they would not have waited at the end of the narrow way. Wherefore, I am a broken man, and helpless. Aloo! And did they die, the cursed Sunlanders, at the end of the narrow way? Tai demanded. How should I know they waited? Abwak gurgled, for my brothers had gone before many of them, and there was no sound of struggle. How should I know why there should be no sound of struggle? And ere I knew, two hands were about my neck, so that I could not cry out and warn my brothers yet to come. And then there were two hands more on my head, and two more on my feet. In this fashion the three Sunlanders had me. And while the hands held my head in the one place, the hands on my feet swung my body around. And as we wring the neck of a duck in the marsh, so my neck was wrung. But it was not given that I should die, he went on a remnant of pride yet glimmering. I only am left. Oluf and the rest lie on their backs in a row, and their faces turn this way and that, and the faces of some be underneath where the backs of their heads should be. It is not good to look upon, for when life returned to me I saw them all by the light of a torch which the Sunlanders left, and I had been laid with them in the row. So, Tai mused, too stunned for speech, he started suddenly and shivered, for the voice of Billman shot out at him from the passage. "'It is well,' it said, 
I look for the man who crawls with the broken neck, and lo, do I find Tai! Throw down that gun, Tai, so that I may hear it strike among the rocks. Tai obeyed passively, and Bill Man crawled forward into the light. Tai looked at him curiously. He was gaunt and worn and dirty, and his eyes burned like twin coals in their cavernous sockets. I am hungry, Tai, he said, very hungry. And I am dirt at thy feet, Tai responded. Thy word is my law. Further, I commanded my people not to withstand thee. I counseled. But Bill Man had turned and was calling back into the passage. Hey, Charlie, Jim, fetch the woman along and come on. We go now to eat, he said, when his comrades and Masachi had joined him. Tai rubbed his hands deprecatingly. We have little, but it is thine. After that, we go south on the snow, Bill Man continued. May you go without hardship, and the trail be easy, said Tai. It is a long way. We will need dogs and food, much. Have the pick of our dogs and the food they may carry. Bill Man slipped over the edge of the opening and prepared to descend. But we come again, Tai. We come again, and our days shall be long in the land. And so they departed into the trackless south, Bill Man, his brothers, and Masachi. And when the next year came, the search number two rode at anchor in Mandel Bay. The few Mandel men who survived because their wounds had prevented their crawling into the cave went to work at the best of the Sunlanders and dug in the ground. They hunt and fish no more, but receive a daily wage from which they buy flour, sugar, calico, and such things which the search number two brings on her yearly trip from the Sunlands. And this mine is worked in secret, as many Northland mines have been worked, and no white man outside the company, which is Bill Man, Jim, and Charlie, knows the whereabouts of Mandel on the rim of the Polar Sea. Obwok still carries his head on one shoulder, is become an oracle, and preaches peace to the younger generation, for which he receives a pension from the company. Tai is foreman of the mine, but he has achieved a new theory concerning the Sunlanders. They that live under the path of the sun are not soft, he says, smoking his pipe and watching the day shift take itself off and the night shift go on. For the sun enters into their blood and burns them with a great fire till they are filled with lusts and passions. They burn always, so that they may not know when they are beaten. Further, there is an unrest in them, which is a devil, and they are flung out over the earth to toil and suffer and fight without end. I know. I am Tai. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales for this Jack London classic, The Sunlanders. Here are those reviews I promised. The first one, five stars. Great show. Great job, John. My commutes have never been more interesting. I love the Sherlock Holmes stories. That one from Gentine Highlander, Apple Podcast, India. And this one, fantastic. Five stars. This is exactly what I've been looking for. Short stories to listen to at work. I enjoy the selection of works as well as the narrator. My only critique is that the added sound effects are distracting. Just leave them out, but still leaving a five-star review. Thanks. Daniel. That one from D.W. Wooden, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one. Subscribe to this podcast, five stars. You will not be disappointed. Sure is great to hear stories like this. That one from History Liker, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one. Everything is top-notch, five stars. Right from the stories, from the way they are told. That one from Prem Singh H. Rayo, Apple Podcast, India. And this one, great for commuting, five stars. John does a fantastic job curating the selected short stories, bringing in the right mix of engaging tales, read in a way that truly brings them to life. Thanks to this podcast, I shall now look forward to my daily commute. That one from Culve, 4282, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, five stars, choice. Very good choice of literature. I also like the manner of reading. And that one from Ogella, Apple Podcast, Ukraine. 
And this one, five stars. This podcast brings back so many memories. So long ago now, I read many of these stories, treasuring their large, old-fashioned books from my grandmother's library. It is so good to be reminded of them again. Lovely, lovely podcast. That one from Amanda Zataz, Apple Podcast, Australia. And this one, five stars, restored my faith in humanity. Love this. Great choice in stories. Excellent voice narration. Nice addition of music. Nice length of stories. Enough to fit in and enjoy between moments of busy life. Listening to famous literature makes me feel more educated, albeit in a lazy way. Not sure if my high school literature teacher would approve. Grew tired of listening to nonfiction life how-tos. These stories fill my soul in a completely different way, more than any other kind of nonfiction. Now one from Heidi. My Honest Opinion, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so very, very much for taking the time it takes to sit down and write us these reviews. They're greatly appreciated, and it helps us to attract new listeners. We thank you so much for being good fans and taking the time to do that. Until next week, Sunday night at 8, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.